You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Hey, I'm so glad that you've taken the time to be a part of this Good Friday service. And so I'm going to share just a couple of reflective thoughts, and then we're going to wrap up the service tonight with communion. But through the last few months, we have been looking at the Gospel of Matthew. And so I realize we have a few folks here tonight. They're visiting or your, your relatives that are in visiting. And you may not have known this, but we've been going through the Gospel of Mark and so, to, or Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew. We're going to stay with the Gospel of Matthew tonight. There's four stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to stick with Matthew. You saw all the scriptures that we read. I'm just going to take a portion of that because you probably saw we read like 60-some verses tonight. I don't think I could get you to stay that long if I preached all that. But anyway, we're going to look at a couple things that are reflective of what's going on. I'm going to lay the foundation for this very quickly. So I'm hitting the, the button mic and nothing is happening. So I don't know what that means. So I got to have that. That's my notes, folks. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, it records the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. This was on Monday. I know I said this Sunday. It's not Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday because that's when we showed up. But it was actually in Jesus' day, it was Palm Monday. And then a few days later, which is about five days later, in Matthew 27, it records the crucifixion, death, and burial of Jesus. This was on a Friday. So what you have here is the story of Jesus suddenly where you had weeks and months being spoken about in a particular chapter, suddenly everything slows down and there's this vast expanse of scripture on Jesus's last five days. And it's pretty phenomenal if you, if you look at it, I'm going to give you a quick, quick oversight on this. Matthew takes seven chapters, 369 verses to tell the story of Jesus's last five days. So 25% of his gospel is about the last five days of Jesus. He's not the only gospel writer who did this. Mark, he takes five chapters to talk about the last five days of Jesus. Luke, he took five chapters to talk about the last days of Jesus. John, he took eight chapters. And so none of them contain everything about those last five days. That's, that's why it's kind of special if you have an ability to maybe get a Bible, that, a chronological Bible, you can see how these stories intermesh. And so actually we have extreme detail about these last five days. And one of the things you know is they each have a way of recording some of the teachings that Jesus was doing in these last five days. And I'll just say this, Jesus was a preaching machine in the last five days. I mean, there are stories, parables, teachings that you probably never realize all happened in that last five days. So he is literally just preaching nonstop. And especially if you go to the, even, even when he was out of sight of the crowds, you go to the Gospel of John, and he, he, uh, he records a lot of the things that Jesus was just saying to the disciples, not necessarily to the masses. So Jesus is just teaching like crazy. And each writer 
picked up something that appealed to them. So that's why I said, if you have the ability at some time to put it all together, it's like, wow. Jesus was like laying it all out there because he knew at the end of these five days he was going to be dead. And so what I want to do is just go into the middle of that story about when Jesus died, some of the things that happened. And it comes from Matthew chapter 27, verses 45, and then 51 through 53. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. And at that moment, the curtain of of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. So I only have one point tonight. It's this, disturbances that redefine life. You probably, if you've lived any length of time, you know that there are disturbances that happen in life that necessarily weren't be, were in our control. Or maybe we didn't know that when we made a decision, there was going to be such a disturbance. Has anybody ever made a decision and then later on found out the consequences associated with the decision? Yeah. You know, you're like, wow, if I'd have known that, I may not have made that call. I may not have made that choice, but we're there and now I have to cope with what is going on. But what I want you to see very briefly in this segment of Scripture is how God's activity showed up in the disturbance. One of the things I, I like about Scripture is every time the enemy throws a curveball, Jesus is not afraid to go ahead and hit the thing. And so darkness is throwing these curveballs, and every time. The activity of God is dealing with this stuff in a, in a great way. So the first thing that you read is this. Everybody just read that phrase that I highlighted. Read it out loud. Darkness, darkness came over the land. And it tells us that it was actually for three hours, and it started at noon. Now, one of the challenges they have is, is they didn't have the ability you know, to look and see you know, when things were going to be happening. So this like suddenly happens. Whether there are some scientific reasons behind this particular eclipse of the sun, don't know. But the point being was this. Everybody knew that even if it did happen, it shouldn't happen for three hours. Nobody was ready for that. Darkness at the peak of the day. Darkness at the peak of the morning. And it, and it happened when Jesus died. And so you have that to contend with. The Son of God is now on the cross and now there's darkness. And that darkness is lasting as long as he's breathing. Something they, they recognize that this is just not an ordinary eclipse of the sun. Something is uniquely going on. And maybe you've been had, maybe you have symbolically have had something like this in your life. I have noticed that darkness never shows up on an appointment on my calendar. Darkness shows up and just makes life difficult. A doctor's report that you didn't see coming. A spouse who wants to change the dynamics of a marriage may up and include separation or divorce and you thought the marriage was fine. A phone call that you get from the police department that one of your kids has been arrested. You didn't see it coming. Or... A medical crisis develops or you get the pink slip that you're being laid off and you thought that you were hitting home runs. 
Darkness has a way of showing up in our life, and most of the time it doesn't show up as a, oh yeah, i got to remember, next week is when I get my bad medical report. It just happens. Darkness shows up. And it just doesn't go away in five minutes. It lingers. It stays. And we can start to question God. Hey, even Jesus was not afraid to say to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we get into the, the, but so what's God's response to the darkness? Well, what I want you to see is this. Read this out loud. The curtain of the temple. You say, well, what has that got to do with the darkness? Let me, let me tell you something about the curtain. The curtain in the temple was really thick. When I say it was the thickness of my hand, I do not mean the thickness of my hand like this, like paper thin, like, you know what I'm saying? When I say the, the, t- the curtain was thick, it was thick like the length of my hand. The whole idea was to make that curtain so heavy that if you fell into the curtain, it would not move. They didn't want anybody accidentally falling into the holies of holies and God striking them dead. So they made that curtain super thick. If you decided to go through the curtain, which the high priest would do once a year, you had to have a strategy and purpose, and you had to have help getting in there, and you had to have help getting out of there. And it says the curtain was torn in two, notice this, from top to bottom. Do you realize the magnitude of force that had to have happened to make that come about? What did it represent? It represented that God was no longer going to be confined to a room. That God's presence and his activity was now going to be out among the people. So God's response to the darkness was this. How about I come to you since you can't come in, I'll come to you. And God split the curtain and he brings his activity to the people. That's the beauty of when darkness hits us. God says, no problem, call me, I'll be there. You don't have to get to the right place at the right time with the right speaker, with the right sermon, with the right message. God says, I am one breath away. When darkness throws its best at you, call me, I'll be there. He he, he, he tore the curtain because now his presence, by the way, you go, I, have, I mean, I, I got to unpack, there's so much theology, it's great theology behind this. Paul says, we're now the temples of the Holy Spirit. Wow. So God's no longer behind a curtain veil. God is available to me, to you. I know that there's people this last year, they, it would be inappropriate for me to tell their stories, but so many people have had darkness hit them. Death, sickness, job crises, family well-being crises, marriage crises, health crises. The list is endless. They never saw it coming. And one of the things that I tell every one of them is, you realize God has not forsaken you. You realize that. I know darkness is thrown his best at you, but you do know of all the times that you can call on God, it's right now. 
of all the times that you need to lean into Jesus, it's now. The other part is this. Everybody read this segment with me. The earth shook, the rocks split. Why is that important? Well, when the earth splits and the rocks, uh, the earth shook and the rocks split, it's describing an earthquake. Now, my wife and I, we have a lot of relatives who live in California. And for the life of me, I don't know why they want to do that. Because they have ridden out some serious earthquakes out there. I mean, we're talking, you know, they have been, you know, affected not nearly as bad as other people, but they saw the devastation of what an earthquake can do. Houses just just separated, the ground opening up and things going in, vehicles falling in. I'm like, yeah, that would kill me doing a house sale there. I just, just, I wouldn't want to live there. The reason it's devastating is, is because of, of all the things that you want to rely on in life, it's the fact that where you put your foot is solid. We all want sure footing in life. Nobody likes to take a walk and be uncertain that they're taking a step that could create some kind of danger moment on them. We all, listen, there's a lot of things you can't count on in life, but there's one thing you do want to count on, that when I take the next step, my ground will be there. And here, the earth shook, the rocks split. And we see that that event is catastrophic in and of itself. But what is the response of God to this? He says, the tombs broke open, the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. You know, you never hear that getting preached. In fact, they don't even show that on the movie why? Because it's, it's like a spiritual zombie segment and movie. And you, it's hard to Christianize that. You look at the grave and here come the dead people. How is, I mean, you know, so they just want to move on to, let's just stick with the tomb. Jesus being resurrected and everybody getting excited. Yeah, he's alive. But nobody wants to talk about, well, why don't you do a film shot of dead people? The graves opening up and dead people walking out in mass. You're going, oh, that's just a cheap copy. See, people aren't familiar with us. They would be going, that's just nothing but a cheap copy of science fiction. It's like, no. Actually, science fiction copied us. Dead people came out of the grave and they walked into the city and they talked to people. Now, I'm telling you, dead people coming back to life has a way of making people believers. Especially if it's your family, your friend, and you were there at the funeral. You were there. You helped, and there, there they are. What's God's response to the fact that the ground is splitting and that you're on shaky ground? He says, no problem. We can counter that with a thing called the resurrection. You got shaky ground? You're in a life-threatening context? God says, that's not a problem. Even if, even if sin thinks it wins by taking your physical life, I can give you resurrection life. Death, Hades, 
cannot win. Disturbances that redefine life. Yeah, bad things happen. Sometimes we make poor decisions and invites it in. Sometimes we did everything right and it just happens and you can't find a reason why. That's what happens when bad things happen. We all get into the game, why, this mental game. Why did that happen? Why would God let that happen? I can't believe that happened. Is there more to the story that I don't know? What was my... And you know, sometimes there are no answers other than this is not heaven. You all know that, right? Bad things happen. That's why we have God. And God has things to counter whatever the enemy throws our direction. So tonight we celebrate, we reflect, we remember the night that Jesus was tried, crucified, died, and he was buried. But how many know we got something that we know that God countered that with? Darkness threw its best shot, and he countered it. And so one of the things that Jesus did was he asked us to celebrate his death and his resurrection through this thing called communion. It's not, it's not a Protestant tradition. It's not a Catholic tradition. It's not a Jewish tradition. It is a command by the Lord Jesus himself. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He said to do this until he comes. So we don't do this because, quote, it's our traditional calendar. We do this because... He said to do that. And when we do it, what are we doing? The bread represents his body. The cup represents his blood. He's reminding us that we have his power, his authority. Who he is is available. He's not a distant God. Yes, we're reflecting, we're remembering, but we're also, listen to me, we're also partaking. Isn't that awesome? It's not just reflective. I'm partaking. And everybody said amen.